Uh, we're going to get started right on time because we've got lots of stuff I want to share with you. Um, right now, uh, folks are passing out a little slip of paper. Look at yours, don't look at anyone else's, okay? That's the hardest thing to do is just to follow that direction. Uh, look at your own sentence, read it over. Uh, I'm getting feel. Why would I get feedback in here? Testing. Is there? Oh, okay. Everyone is that okay. Um, so uh, look at look at your own, but uh, no one else's. Everyone have one? Yeah. I think they're all good. And uh, read it over once or twice. Again, don't look at anyone else's. Just your own. Some of them, some of them are the same, so you might have a similar one. And here's the question. The question is just count the number of F's. Count, count the number of F's. And again, um, don't say anything until I instruct you. This is the hardest thing is to keep people quiet on this one. Do it again just to make sure. Okay, and then just count the number of F's. Count the number of F's in your particular sentence. Simple enough. Okay, how many have a sentence with three F's? Raise your hand. Okay, look around, you can kind of see how many there are. Okay, how many with four? One. How many with five? A couple. How many with six? A bunch of you. Okay, I know which sentences there are, so I know. Okay, so um, I, I, I have a pretty good sense of how many of each sentence I sent, I gave out. So some of you are incorrect. Okay, so just count again, make sure you count the number of F's. Nothing clever. Don't say anything to anyone. Just count your own F's on your own sentence. <laughs> Don't say anything to <laughs> Okay, you had another chance. How many have a sentence with three F's? Raise your hand. Okay, kind of look around. Uh, three again. How many with three? Okay. How many with four? Okay. How many with five? Okay. How many with six? Okay. Some of you count found F. Okay. Um, I, I know that there's there's only a few that have less than six. There's only a few. So count if you had less than six. Just count to make sure that you are not one of them that's making a mistake. <laughs> okay, uh, how many have three F's? Okay, uh, about eight or nine, ten. How many, uh, four, five, six? Okay, more of it. Okay, now you might have kind of caught on 
Don't say anything. You all have the same sentence. You all have the same sentence. So, some of you who are only counting three, all of you who are only counting less than six, well, how many you get this at? Six, okay. So, uh, so this is interesting. Uh, now I'll give you all a chance to talk. Those who aren't getting six, what are they missing? Uh, they're missing the ofs. There's three ofs. <laughs> Obviously, a short word, but I, as, as I kind of studied it and, and learned about it a little bit, the, the real reason is that you are counting subconsciously. You're counting the number of times you make the sound. Your finished files, and that's what you're counting. And the of, of course, has a B sound. It goes right by it. Okay, so it's really interesting. I've gotten, you know, gotten a lot of Snickers bar. You can you can vet people, you know, and, and win all sorts of things with this one. Okay, and it's a fun one. Uh, to ma make a bunch of them and give them off to your class, this sort of thing. So it's a fun thing to do, but it also has a nice lesson to it. I bring this up whenever, right at the start of a lot, a lot of my classes. By the way, just to get a sense of who y'all are, how many in here are, teach, um, say, seventh grade and below? Just to have a sense, okay? Well, let me go, how many fifth grade and below? Okay, something like that. And then how many uh, six and seven? Or, or let's say five through seven. Okay, and then 8, 9, and 10, and then 11, 12, just roughly. Okay, good. So some of these various things are going to be things that you can all use for your, for your various students. Some, some will be things that are, are more pointed towards one than the other. But of course, this is one for everyone. And, and any time that I ever just draw myself a Cartesian plane on the board, right, the XY-axis system, then I, ask, I always ask the question, Cartesian, where does that word come from? And where does the word come from? Descartes. Descartes. And as soon as I mention Descartes, then I just take a five minutes, this is a valuable five minutes, and say this is a person who um, did two significant things. One is he found the way through the Cartesian plane to unite two areas of mathematics that people thought were totally different. Algebra was X's and Y's and all that sort of thing. Geometry was straight edges and, and circles and, and compasses and that sort of thing. What's the connection? And he saw, he showed, oh, you can with a Cartesian plane, you can get an equation for a line, an equation for a circle, an equation for an ellipse. So he connected them. And that started a whole cascade of connections. Isaac Newton, soon after, saw, ah, here's something falling from the ground. Here's the planetary motion. They seem totally different. Aha, gravity, they're connected. Then you get the electromagnetic spectrum, and you have there's light, there's gamma rays, there's, there's radio waves, there's infrared, there's uh, um, uh, X-rays, all these various things, all thought to be different visible light. All of a sudden, they're part of the electromagnetic spectrum. You have the whole, um, all the elements, whether something is hard or plastic or air or whatever, and all of a sudden they put together the the, uh, the uh, periodic table, and you see all these things are all connected. They're connected in families. They're connected just by the number of uh, protons and, and electrons they have. Finally, you know, after all these years, uh, um, Maxwell showed that, that magnetism and electricity were basically one and the same. If you've seen the, the, the picture of Escher where one hand is, is drawing the other hand, you've seen that picture, 
It's, it's very much the same thing with electricity produces magnetism and, electri and magnetism produces electricity. So that all comes. And then finally, by the turn of the century, 1900, people realized, oh, there's really only two things in the world. There's matter and there's energy. And people thought that until who came along? Einstein said, no, E equals MC squared. Energy is just, matter is just frozen energy. And so all of a sudden, so all that comes from, started with this cascade of Descartes who said, ah, things that we think are different are the same. So he did that. That's a cool little thing, just to give your, give your students a little, little sense of history there. Then, then the second thing that Descartes did was to ask what question, or to make one statement. I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. And again, I just take a little time with my students, and I think, what is it that you know for sure? What do you know for sure? You know, it seems like I know for sure that I have this in my hand. No, I don't, because I'm relying on my senses, and my senses are sometimes wrong. You can do experiments where you put one in hand in cold water and one in warm, and you, then you put them both in lukewarm, and it feels hot to one hand and cold to the other, just because of where, where they've come from. You can fool your senses. Your memory gets fooled. So, F's, how easy was that? And yet, almost half of you, I don't remember, I'm relying on my memory. Three-fourths of you, three-fourths of you, um, uh, didn't count, the, um, count all the F's the first time. Okay, so it, it, it's, it's a good way to give your students a little bit of history, to connect mathematics with other, other disciplines, and, and to show them that you're a person that is more than, if you're a math teacher, that is more than just teaches math, that you, that you understand the greater world. So, all sorts of good things. I'll, I'll just mention this as well, along these lines. Uh, these are all things, I mean, this is all stuff you can just get on the internet. You've seen these kinds of puzzles where they say, you know, here's two lines and one is actually, they're the same length even though one looks longer than the other. You've seen that sort of thing. So you're expecting me to say now that one of these tabletops is that they're both the same shape. And obviously they're not. Come up afterwards. Doggone it. Come up afterwards. Here, here's the one right there. I cut it out. And it flies right on top of that one. Okay? I mean, I see it, but I don't believe it. It's right there. So, so there's all sorts of things where it just teaches students to have a little bit of humility. Um, things that seem obvious maybe aren't. That's all a good part of education. Okay? So that's the first thing I wanted to do. Some of you came up beforehand and I had some puzzles here. So if you uh, want to uh, come up afterwards and I'll show you, show you some things. Um, uh, I'll just mention this real quick. Mostly people have seen it. But if you just take a sheet of paper like this and put it end to end and cut it down the middle, you're going to get two pieces that separate. Agree? Yeah. If you first put one twist in it and do it, and then cut it all the way down the middle, all the way down, coming back to the place you started, what do you end up with? A circle. Do you, do you have one piece or two pieces? How many say one? How many say two? Sure. So let, let's, let's give it a try. Just just in case some people haven't seen this, but it's just a sheet of paper here. All I did was put one twist in it. It's, 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 what's that? I said it'll have three when you're done. Well, let's see. So again, this is something you can do with any age group. 
And it just it just defies imagination. I mean, it just it's it's just really strange. You cut it right down the middle, just like you would have with this one. This one you cut right down the middle, you get two of them that separate. This one you cut it right down the middle and it, it stays together. It's called a Mobius strip. Okay? And and I mean the, the, the key of it, you can think of it like this. All, all, all these things I'm saying, I'm doing it really fast. You, you milk them for all you worth when you're in school. But if you have an ant that's on this side and a spider that's on that side, the spider will never get to the ant. Okay? Right? There, if it can't go over the edge, you'll never get it. But as soon as you twist it, now you take your finger and just run your finger around. It'll end up being here, and now you keep running it, and now it ends up being on this side. So you basically, it's one surface. Where, where, where is this used in your automobile? The serpentine strip in your automobile. If you, if you put a belt in your automobile like this and let it run, then as soon as this part here runs out, you have to put in a new one. As soon as they put a twist in it, now you can go twice as far with that, with that serpentine belt because it, it's good using both sides. Okay, so all sorts of practical places as well. By the way, all of this stuff I'm talking about is all on this. Uh, I've got them all collected here, all with answers, all with full explanations, everything else. So I've got a few of them here with me, but it's all via the, your, your, the website for CE for the conference. Okay, so it's all available. So you, you take a little notes if you want, but, but uh, everything is good. Okay, so I, this is, this is going to be mathematics things and also, um, also some nice challenges. I, I think of these as things you can do before the bell or after the bell or if, if you have a five minutes of extra time and, and you just, just want to have a little fun in class, these are all things you can do. <laughs> So this is one of my favorites. I've been using this one for years, and I actually found it in a little book for second graders. That I, when, when I was in second grade, actually. I mean, this, this is a book that I got when I was in second or third grade, and I've been using it my whole life. That you've, you've probably heard the, what's the book? Everything you need to know in life, you what? Learn in kindergarten. I learned in second grade, so I'm a little more advanced. Okay. Okay, so I need a volunteer. Someone want to volunteer? We're going to play cops and robbers. Okay, come on up. Give everyone your name. That's it's <laughs> New Siljin. Isn't that cool? Okay, <laughs> So uh, grab this. Stand on one side. I'm going to stand on the other. So uh, so this is cops and robbers, and uh, you start right here, Siljin. Okay. And I'm going to start right here. And your object is to try to uh, catch me to land where I am. And every time each one of us moves. Uh, we take turns. We can move to any of the adjoining adjoining uh, corners. Am I writing? Okay. No, you don't have to write. Just use it as a pointer. Okay. Obviously, I go first. <laughs> if at any point you think it's fruitless. Five minutes because usually I get, I get, I get 
We've got three or four people up here and people don't see. So they obviously see this and think there's something to it. And they think, boy, there's got to be a way I can push you up there. Right? Is that what some of you were thinking? But obviously he wasn't going to push me up there. He was just going to, I'm just going to go back and forth. But as soon as he did this, then he basically took two turns at once. He, he changed the parity. It's a, it's a on-off, even-odd type thing. And he changed the parity, and now, now it's, you can catch me in any corner. Once he went through that, you can just push me into any corner and catch me. Okay, yeah. What if you go in the bottom left corner and I take that top corner and you go and take the corner as well? I, I've tried that. If, if I try to follow you around, you can get me while I'm trying to follow you around. I think, yeah. So that would be my only try would be to follow you around and, and keep the parity. What I sometimes do, which I decided not to with you because I don't know you well enough, is I just <laughs> cheat. You do this and then I go, I go like this and I just stay right there. So, you can have fun with that as well. Okay? So anyway, so that's, that's a fun one. I made this one a little bit small. You can make it a little bit bigger. Make it as big as you want. But uh, you know, it's really interesting because people will say, they'll be here and they'll go all around the board. And I thought Zildjian was going to do this, but they don't go around this corner and they go back and forth. But the parodies all stay in the same. Or they'll say, can I go across? Or they'll say, can I skip a turn? It's right there in front of them, but it never occurs to them. All you have to do is go there, and you, you've done what you wanted to do. So uh, anyway, so it's a fun one. Okay, um, next thing. Let's, let's talk about pi for a little bit and circles. Um, when I teach any course, like pre-calculus or algebra or trig or calculus, anything that requires pi, which almost everything you know, above a certain level does, I bring a whole bunch of ropes to class, or just, just use extension cords or whatever you want, uh, get several of them, depending on how big your class is, go out into the football field or the parking lot or whatever, and then you have one student stand, well, here's what I do first. I say, what's pi? And they, someone says 3.14. No, 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 that's the value of pi. What, what, what is the definition of pi? And no one knows. I mean, very seldom does anyone say it's the ratio of what to what. It's a circumference of diameter, so it just hasn't registered. Why hasn't it registered? It's just because you put a picture on the board and that sort of thing. But now they're going to do. It. They're going to feel it with their bodies. Okay. So one person stands here. The other person paces. If we had a big room here, we could do it. If we had, but you just form nice uniform paces, and you maybe 55 paces around. And then this person, you pace straight across, and this person has to move to the side when they go right across the center. And you count those, and then you take the ratio, and you've got, you've got pi. Make sense? I've discovered over the years, it's really good for more than pi. It, it teaches precision. Because the, here's what they do. You know, one person's here is supposed to stay nice and taut, and it kind of comes in like this. Or maybe their hand goes like this, and it comes out like this. Very little that we do now with our students really requires precision. I'm old enough that if I were typing on something and I goofed up and mistyped, I'd have to go get some ink, you know, whatever, and all that kind of stuff. Now it's, it, it fixes it for you. Uh, you know, careful with your numbers? No, now you have a calculator. So this is something, it's a simple enough thing, but it just teaches them. The, the ones who really take nice uniform steps and hold it right there nice and precise and just think about how do I do this carefully, they're going to get the better value of pi. So, so there's all sorts of neat things that come just from that, okay? So, uh, so, so uh, keep that in mind. Then, with regard to that sort of thing, um, let's talk about the Earth for a minute. 
Where's my, where's my uh, eraser? Oh, thank you. Um, the, the circumference of the Earth is almost exactly 24, or I'm sorry, 25,000 miles around. Okay? So, um, so if I, if I put a ribbon around the Earth at the equator, lying right on the Earth's surface, assume it's nice and flat, it'd be 25,000 miles. Everyone with me? Question is this, and again, if you know the answer to any of these, then keep quiet, just to keep, uh, let others ponder. What if I raise that piece of, of ribbon one foot above the ground, the whole distance, all the way around the earth, it's now one foot above the earth. The question is, how much added length do I need to add to that ribbon in order to lift it one foot above the earth at every point? If you don't know the answer, just throw out what you think, <coughs> what your gut tells you maybe is right. Any thoughts? What's that? No one's brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three high feet. Okay. Any thoughts? 3.14 feet. Okay, okay. Well, you're actually pretty close. I, I just, someone asked me this over the dinner table, and I said 10,000 miles, right? And, and a lot of people that I've asked, it, ah, 1,000 miles, whatever. It's 25,000 miles around, and now you're adding a foot the whole way, and so it just seemed to me that it would be an awfully big distance. Does that, does that seem reasonable? Yes. Okay, but it turns out, if in, in feet, let's let R be the, the distance, the, the radius of the Earth, then, then 2 pi r in feet would be the distance all the way around. Agreed? On the other hand, if you added a foot to it, it would be 2 pi times r plus 1. Agreed? So there's the smaller circumference. Here's the bigger circumference. We want the difference between the two. Uh, distribute it out, the two pi r's go away, you just end up with two pi feet, six feet. Six feet. Easy enough? What's, what's that? Yeah, yeah. It just blows my, I mean, it, it's hard to conceive. It would be true for the Earth, it would be true for the Sun, it would be true for the solar system, right? Now, how big is it? Is it also true for whatever, just something small here? <coughs> one foot out. It's going to be an extra two pi feet. Doesn't matter how big it is. Algebra is simple. Totally surprising. Okay. Again, all of these things are fun, just to to get some kind of humility about. Wow, what do I know? How surprising things are. Okay. Speaking of pi again, let's just talk about pi for a second. So here's this irrational number. Okay. It turns out that pi shows up all sort all sorts of places. So again, this is all written up in my, in my notes. But this is something you can have your, your students do. Just take this series. 1 minus a third plus a fifth minus a seventh plus a ninth minus eleventh. Go out as far as they want. If some of them are pretty good with, with programming and developed a program, whatever, they can make a little program to go out as far as they want. Multiply it by four. 
If you go out to infinity, it's going to hit pi, okay? If you stop before you get to infinity, it won't quite get to pi, okay? So pi shows up there, okay? How many is that new for? Okay, okay, so good. Here's another way in which you get pi, and, it, and again, it's a fun thing to do. I've got, I've got bags, I've got all this stuff back home, but I just take a piece of, of typing paper, and I mark lines that are one inch apart. So it's just, just a line piece of, of typing paper, okay? One inch apart. Then I take little paper clips, and I just, with my needle nose pliers, I snip out little one inch snips, one inch needles, okay? Just a whole bunch of them that are one inch, okay? I give all the students a piece of paper and one of these little needles, and I say, go ahead and just spin the needle and drop it on the paper. And do it, say, 50 times, and count how many times it crosses a line. If it crosses a line, just uh, count it as a cross. If it doesn't cross a line, then it's not a cross. Okay? Just count. And it turns out that if you take two times the total, 50 or whatever total is, and you divide that by the number of times it crosses, you get pi. Okay, it's a nice little trig problem with, with uh, the cosine. Okay, again, it's all, it's all in my notes. But it's a fun thing to do. It's, again, you can do this with junior high kids. Because here's what's cool. You know, sixth, seventh grade, so everyone wants to be the same. You, 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 don't want to be, you don't want to be different. And here, you tell them, You've got to be honest about what your number is. If you say, oh, the last three people have both said 17, and I really got a 25, but I'm going to say 17 because I don't want to be... No, that's going to ruin it. It's the very variability of everyone giving the honest answer that then you put all those together, and you collect them all together, and you get the grand total for all 30 kids or however many are in there, and you get your value of pi. And it's by all of them being truthful, by all of them adding their own little contribution to it, you get, you can play with it and see what's how close you get. So again, there's a lot of fun things you do. You're learning mathematics. Uh, you're giving them chances to, to participate. Even the shyest student in the room who doesn't want to do anything else, they're willing to drop, you know, something on a piece of paper and, and you know, call up, call up the number. So, uh, so that's kind of a cool one. Okay, are you all with me? Everyone good? Okay. Here's another one with regard to the Earth which I think is surprising. Again, I, I'm doing all these fast, all these you, you need to go slow and, and t let them take them home and think about them, right? I, I'm ruining them all by we're doing them so fast. I, I want to I show you a whole bunch of them, but, but let them get their families involved and come back the next day and really ponder it. But here's the question. Here's the equator. Suppose you take the temperature of the equator, so right now, you snap the temperature of the equator at some point, okay? So it got the temperature all the way around. Some points of the equator might go through a, a volcano, some might go through a refrigerator someplace, maybe there's a, a polar ice cap there on the equator someplace if it's drifted down south, not likely. Okay? So here's, what I'm, here's my question. Will it always be the case that there are two points on the equator diametrically opposite, straight through the Earth, diametrically opposite, that have exactly the same temperature. No matter what that temperature is, that, no matter how strange it is, and it could vary for all sorts of things, will it always be the case that there are two points diametrically opposite that have the same temperature? What's your name? 
Neil, can you say yes? Do you know do you know how to prove it? I'd have to think about it again. Okay. Well, well here it is. This, this is a nice problem. All you have to do is get the students to agree to this. That temperature, as you walk around the equator, the temperature is a continuous function. It's not gonna, the temperature is not gonna suddenly go from here and break there. It might go really fast. If you if you go from a refrigerator to a to a stove, it might, you know, through the through the through the uh, walls of the refrigerator stove, it might very, very fast go from here to here, but it's still gonna, there's not gonna be a break. Everyone with me? There's, it's gonna be continuous. So as soon as they agree to that, you got them. Because, because watch, you take your left finger and your right finger, and you start right here. You say, okay, here's my left finger, here's my right finger. If they're the same temperature, then we're already done. If not, let's assume that this one's hotter, okay? So let's take this temperature minus this one. So if this one's hotter, the difference is going to be positive. Agreed? So it's going to start off positive. Now, I just move around, and as I move around, this difference in temperature is going to vary. Agreed? But by the time I get to here, the difference is going to be what? It's going to be negative. No breaks. Some point... It had to cross. At some point, the difference had to be zero. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's all uses continuity, which is just a, a cool part of, of calculus and, and mathematics. Okay? So again, it's all stuff. You can ponder that as you ride home today or tomorrow or whatever. Okay? Here's another one with the Earth. Some of you have heard part of this, but I might throw a new wrinkle into it. Okay? Here's a riddle. Some hunters leave camp, they, they go a mile south, travel a mile south, then they walk a mile east, then they kill a bear, and walk a mile north, and by walking a mile north, they're back at camp again. So they started off at camp, they walked a mile south, then a mile east, and a mile north, and by returning, and then they were back at camp again. The question is, what color is the bear? And the color is what? White. And why is it white? Because it's a polar bear. It's a polar bear, and the reason is because you started where? At the North Pole. Started at the North Pole. So you started at the North Pole, went a mile south, a mile east, a mile north, and you're back to the North Pole. Okay? How many have heard that? Okay, good. Here's the next question. Is that the only point on the Earth where that's possible? Where you first start and you walk a mile south, then a mile east, and then a mile north, and you're back where you began. Obviously, you can't start at the South Pole because you can't go a mile south if you're at the South Pole. So are there any points, other points on the globe where you first go a mile south, then a mile east, then a mile north, and you're back where you started? Based on the definitions of north and south, east and Uh-huh. They say no? There's no one. There's no one. What's your name again? Neil, I got you, Neil. Okay, you're you're getting most of these things. Okay, I'm gonna go home feeling a little better about myself here. Okay, so Neil's committed himself here. Okay, says no. It turns out there are an infinite number of points. There are an infinite number of points. It was one of my students who who revealed this to me. I never thought of it before. What's that? Well, you. I mean, if you start right here in Michigan or in Indiana and you first go a mile south, and then you go a mile east, and then a mile north, you're, you're not going to be back to where you began, you know. There's going to be roughly a mile from where you started. Agreed? 
right? Go a mile south, then a mile east or west, and then a mile north, I'll be basically a mile away, pretty close, from where I started. But where are the infinite number of points where you'll be right back again? See, so this is where, don't blow this, I'll tell you, but let them think about it overnight. Obviously, right? But here, right here, around the South Pole. So close, close to the South Pole, here's what you do. You're right here, you go a mile south, and now you go a mile east, and by going a mile east, you've gone all the way around. And then a mile north, and you're back where you started. Agreed? So you've got an infinite number of points along that line, but there are a whole lot more. Where are some other ones? Start right here. Now you go a mile south, and now you go twice around. As you go west, you go twice around and back. And another one where you go three times around. So you've got an infinite number of concentric rings, all of which have an infinite number of points on them that have that property. But no bears. No bears. No, no, uh, no polar bears. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Great, great question. Okay? Okay. Um, next thing I wanted to do is, um, let's see. Let's, um, I'll just do that. I'll just stay right in order. If you have a belt on, feel free to take it off. Okay? If you have a, a shoelace that's easy to come out, uh, take your shoelace off. Or if you have an electric cord for your computer or something like that, and I've got a whole bunch up here. I just want however, however many people as possible just to have something which is a foot to a couple of feet long. And I've got a bunch of them here. I've got some shoelaces. So come up and grab one if you need one. And if you need be, bar, uh, you know, bar, uh, share one with your neighbor. Very good. Got, got a couple more here. Anyone else? You don't want to take yours all off? Okay. Everyone good? Okay? Here's the challenge. And again, if, if you know the answer, then, then, uh, then uh, keep quiet. But uh, most people haven't seen this one. Here's the challenge. Is to lay the thing in front of you on your lap, for example. If you had a table, if you had a table, it would be easier. Just lay it in front of you with, with the ends right there. And, and here's the directions. Grab hold of each end of the rope one in each hand. I'll, I'll just demonstrate like this, but you can do it any way you want. We'll do it like that. And then, tie just a simple knot in the rope like this, stretched out, without letting go of either end. I let go of the ends there, right? When I, when I transferred, you know, this, this is letting go when I do that. So you grab one, one like this, one, grab one like this, don't let go of either end. But by the time you're done, you've got it stretched out like this with a knot in the Give it a try. Did you do it? You know what? It's going to be Uh No, you don't have to stand up. No? This is one. You give this to your students, and they, they'll go home and... Did you get it? Okay. Well, so someone got it, so let the rest of you keep working at it for, for a minute. They'll get, their, they'll get their whole families involved. So it's just great. You see their, their parents... Two weeks later, and they say, good grief, we spent an hour over lunch trying to figure that out. I'm giving you a little bit of a, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. 
Okay? I just gave it to you. I just gave you a hint. I'll give it to you again. Okay, I just gave you a hint again. I'm, I'm giving you a hint. Did you get it? Did you get it? Okay. Put, put your hands like this. Have a knot in your hands. Not, not just cross, but knot. So this one is down and this one is up. And then grab one end. One end of that one and transfer the knot from your hands into the knot in the rope.
how likely are you to have the virus, given that it says you do? Okay, let's, let's, I'm hearing things like 9.9, so on. 0.99? But, but, okay, let's, let's check it out. Okay, again, this is stuff. Yeah, there you go. Okay, watch this. Here's the 10,000 people in the town. 1% of them have the virus, so here's 1% of them. That's how many? 100. Okay, 100 people there have the virus. Agreed? Of those 100 people, how many of them get a positive test saying they've got the virus? 99 of them. How many people are over here who don't have the virus? How many people does it falsely say have the virus? 1% of them, which is what? 99 again, right? So there's 100, and there's a total of 198 people who are all put in the room saying, you've got the virus, how many of them actually do? Half of them. Agree? Isn't that interesting? 50%. So it, the fact that only 1% have the virus really comes into play here. And that's what people didn't understand when you got all this stuff about, oh, in Vermont, you know, this number of people are testing, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's much more subtle than just looking at quick numbers. Okay? Again, it just teaches you to be a little humility. Just be careful. Be careful. Think it through carefully. Okay? So that's a good one. Okay, um, this one is one that you've maybe seen, uh, but I'll do it because it's such a good one. So if you know the answer, again, keep quiet. But two, two, two questions for this one. Assuming no leap year, so assuming through 365 days in a year, how many people would need to be in a room before you can be absolutely certain that there's two people with the same birthday? You're absolutely certain that there's going to be two people. Don't, don't make this into a hard problem now. This is, a, this is an easy one. Just think about it. 366. Who said it? Why 366? Because you could have one person be every day of the year. The last one would finally have one of those birthdays. Make sense? 365, you could all have different birthdays. As soon as you got 366, it's called the pigeonhole principle. You got two people the same birthday. Okay, so that's for absolutely certain. Now, how many people do you need to have in a room before chances are that two people have the same birthday. In other words, it's probability is greater than 50% that two people have the same birthday. 30. What's that? 30. It turns out, you, people typically say 180 or something like that. What's the answer? Anyone know? It's just 23. It's just 23. So, Almost certainly here, and, and I could go through the details. It's not, not hard, but it's all just for sake of time to realize. But this room, for sure, there's two people with the same birthday. Let's just do it really fast. As soon as you hear your birthday, just yell. March 26. July 3. October 30. September 25. September 30. July 13. October 4. February 18. May 29. November 9. March 30. April 9. January 2. July 10. June 12. April 6, July 29, May 5, March 3. No, no matches yet? Keep, keep, oh, oh, there was a match. Oh, yeah, this, okay, so, yeah, there was a match already. Okay, yeah. So, so I mean, with this many, it's, it's almost a certainty. Does that um, assume the equal probability distribution? Yeah, it assumes a uniform distribution. Is that accurate? Uh, not quite, probably, yeah, not quite. Yeah, that's right, good, good point. Okay. 
Um, let's talk about infinity. Okay? This this is something again that this this is the type of thing that wouldn't come up necessarily in your in your classwork, but it's awfully fun if you have good students who want to be challenged, if you want to just play with their mind, that sort of thing. Okay? Are you with me? So uh, and by the way, I've got all sorts of papers on this stuff. I've, I've got a long paper in called Infinity in the Absolute, Insights into Our World, Our Faith, and Ourselves. It, it was published in Christian Scholars Review. Uh, it goes to all the history of the infinite, uh, philosophy, you get Plato, you get Aristotle, you get all these things, it, it gets into all the mathematics. It all starts from ground zero. So just send me an email. My email is, is listed on this thing, which, which uh, you can get hold of. And um, I'll, I'll send you whatever, whatever you'd like. Um, but um, th this is one of my favorite uh, problems. What's your name? Matt. Matt? Matt? Okay. So uh, Matt and I, imagine us, we're both on two sides of the table here. And I've got myself a big uh, hat, and I've got myself a set of billiard balls, each one numbered. One, two, three, four, five, all the way out. Going on for never stopping. Okay, are you with me? I take balls one through ten, I toss them in the hat, I find ball number one, toss it out. The others roll into place, I take eleven through twenty, toss them in the hat, take ball number eleven, toss it out. Twenty-one through thirty go in the hat, ball number which one? Twenty-one comes out. Are you all with me? I do, it's a mind experiment obviously, trying to understand infinity. After doing this an infinite number of times, a uh, couple questions, don't make it hard. How many balls are outside the hat? Infinite. How many balls are in the hat? Infinite, Infinite numbers. numbers. All the balls have a number on them, right? Yes. Which ball, what are some of the ones outside the hat? Name a few of them. 101. 101. 1,001. 1, 41. 29,251, right? Anything ending with a 1. What are some of the ones that are in the hat? 52. 52. 117. Are you all with me? Now, as I do that, Matt is on the other side of the table. He's got an identical hat and an identical set of billiard balls. And he does the same thing. 1 through 10 goes in there, 1 comes out. 11 through 20 goes in there, but instead of taking out 11, he fishes around and finds ball number 2, which is still in there. Okay? 21 through 30 go in. I took out 21. He finds ball number what? 3. three. Next time, ball number 4. So, are you with me? The rest of you are all watching us. You just see us both like this. You probably can't see the ink on the balls, and each go like this, so you're seeing us do this. And you wait around until we've done it an infinite number of times. And then, same question for Matt, uh, how many balls are in his hat? None. Zero. No. The whole complete set. How many balls are in Matt's How many balls are in your hat, Matt? One hundred and seventeen, is that in there? No, I took, took it out. Yeah. 259,987, is that in there? No, Dang it, he took it out. <laughs> Agree? Yeah. So you're right, there, there's none in his. There's none. Okay. There's no contradiction. It's just that there's none. And the way I like to describe this to my students is I ask them how many of them have seen Star Wars, you know, where you go into hyperspace, hyperdrive, you know, like this, and you get jumped back. I say, 
When you go from the world of the finite to the world of the infinite, it's like going into hyperdrive. And some rules are the same, some rules are different. And there's nothing that guarantees that a rule about finite life is necessarily going to be the same in the world of, of the infinite. Okay? So some are the same, some not. So it turns out there, there's no hat, no, no balls in your head. You take them all out. Okay? So don't, let, don't lose sleep on that. Okay? Um, wow, there's many good things to do. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me show you this one. This is one of my favorites. And again, it's a beautiful surprise, and it's just, it's gorgeous, and it's the type of thing you could maybe involve it in your class, or, you know, students, whatever. But you all know what prime numbers are, right? I assume? <laughs> Two, three, what are the next ones? Five. Nine. 23 is my favorite number, by the way, because it's the first prime number that doesn't have any neighbors. So it's kind of the most elite of the elite, right? These all have a neighbor that's two away or one away. Okay? But anyway, so those are prime numbers. Everyone agree? And the fundamental theorem of arithmetic is just the fancy term, name, for the fact that if you give me any positive number, I can divide that into its prime. So if you start with 30, and you just divide it by 2, you get 15, you divide it by another prime, 3, and you get 5, there. So I've written 30 is equal to 2 times 3 times 5. And there's a unique way to do that. There's only one way to do it. Anyone who starts with a number and divides by primes, you're going to end up with the same thing. And maybe there's two twos. If I started with 60, I'd have 2 times 2 times 3 times 5, but those are the primes. Everyone with me? So that's called the fundamental theorem of, of arithmetic, okay? So, so let's take this as an example. Do you all agree that 2 times 3 times 5 gives you 30? So if I added 1 to 30, make 31, 31 would not be divisible by any of those three. Agree? Yeah. Because just the fact that 30 is a product of those three, if I divide it by 5, I'm going to get 6 with the remainder of 1. If I divide 30 by 10, I'm going to get 3 with the remainder of 1. And if I divide it by 6, I'll get 5 with the remainder of 1. Agree? Or did I do that right? Whatever I divide it by, I'm always going to get a remainder. Everyone with me? Everyone with me? Okay. So Euclid, Euclid was the first person who asked and answered the question, are there an infinite number of primes? Because they go on, but they get more and more sparse as you go. And so it's a really legitimate question to ask. At some point, have you hit the last one? And there's just none beyond that. Beyond that, the numbers are so big. There's so many numbers before that it's going to be a multiple. Two, two factors are going to give it to you. Make sense? Maybe at some point, they, 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 that's it. And so Euclid argued this way. He said, okay, suppose there is. Suppose n is the biggest prime. Okay, are you with me? Then he said, okay, let's just take all the primes up to n. Oops. Multiply them all together, and then add 1. Call that p. Are you with me? Does everyone agree that we have a number that's obviously bigger than n? Okay? Now, there's no guarantee that this is prime. I mean, I shouldn't use p because it makes it sound like it's prime. 
Let's let, uh, I don't care, uh, R. No, that looks like a real number. Uh, I. <laughs> I. I find the theory. Okay? No, it seems irrational. Oh, well. Um, so, um, you know, that reminds me of a Simpsons episode <laughs> where it's a flashback and Homer is in the bar and, and it's a flashback and Marge is pregnant and they know it's going to be a boy and he's trying to think of the name to call his son and every name that he comes up with someone says no it rhymes with I forgot what they all were but they were all words that were you know a little bit undesirable uh, something and no this 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 finally someone says bark oh that one's safe and so, uh, <laughs> if, if you heard the whole thing, they you know, part, part, obviously. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so, uh, so here you go. So here's I, which you get by multiplying all these numbers together and adding one. Are you with me? So now, one of two choices. Either I is prime or it's not. Agreed? Either it's prime or it's not. If I is prime, then we've got our contradiction, because I is obviously bigger than N. And so n is not the largest, not the largest. Everyone agree? If i is not prime, then I know that i can be factored into its primes. Agree? No problem yet, except that whatever factors those are, it's none of these. Because if I divide i by 7, what am I going to get as a remainder? 1. If I divide it by 11, what am I going to get as a remainder? 1. Divided by n, what am I going to get as a remainder? 1. So, whatever primes it is that multiply, let's call them p1, p2, maybe there's a few of them that multiply to i, it can't be any of these, which means it's got to be a prime which is what? Bigger, because this is everything. That's everything up to n. So it's got to be a bigger prime than any of these. So either way, you've shown that this is not the largest. So he, he showed, I mean, if you were to ask a hundred mathematicians what's the most beautiful proof in mathematics, that half of them would say this is it. It's, it's simple, it's elegant, and, it, and it's, it's, it's not only elegant, but it's really useful because if you know about uh, banking and that sort of thing, it's only because of the fact that these primes are as big as you ever want them to get, which allows you to have a... Um, credit card, whatever, that they form really big primes, and those primes are, are uh, using crypt uh, cryptography to, uh, to uh, ensure that you, you can keep, keep security. Basically, you take two great big primes and multiply them together. Here you have a big prime, here you have a big prime. You tell your partner this prime, and they can, you know, divide the, the number that's sent over over the telephone by this one and they can get this one and no one else can find it. So it's only because you have these monstrous primes that you can do it. But as computers get bigger and bigger, you need bigger and bigger primes to be able to work with. So we've got an infinite number to work with, okay? So that's that's good news. Okay, you can sleep sleep good tonight. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, okay, another, another fun, I, I'm trying to go back and forth between puzzles and, and mathematics here. So here's one. This, this one, I, I just learned a whole bunch of them over 40 years. And so this one, you may have seen before, but again, it might have a wrinkle that you're not aware of. This was on a, some sort of an IQ test, and you asked the students, uh, 
how many lines, do, line segments, does it take to connect those where you can't take your your uh, pencil off the paper? Okay, and people try and they go, oh, it's one, two, three, four, five, something like that. Okay, and the idea is that you can do it with less. Is that true? How do you do it with less? I might not have given myself enough room. Oops, go up here, sorry. Go up there and come down here. Like so. Here you do it with four. Everyone with me? So the idea is, can you really, literally think outside the box and do it with four? These rolled dots took four lines. Took four lines until some kid came and said, no, 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 I can do it with three. What's that? said if the dots are big enough, then you can go. They use the word dot rather than point. You picked up on that. A dot has finite width to it. Agreed? So you can take a line that goes through the top of this dot, the middle of this one, the bottom of this one, and go out far enough, and now come back and hit the top of this one, middle of that one, boom. And so on. Everyone see it? Yeah. There you did it with three. Isn't that a great story? I mean, a great story. It, 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 I, mean, maybe, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's some kid came up with that, and all the experts who thought they were the, you know, the, <laughs> and and others have said, "Oh, wait a second, you can do it with one." I'll leave that one to you. How you might be able to argue doing it with one. Um, so that's that. Well, yeah. Okay. That's not true. I've got, I've got some other stuff up here that you can come up and get after the, after the, um, after the class. I got a lot of these if you want any. This is a what? The shape is a what? It's a rectangle. It's a rectangle that has a certain property. If I take it and fold, fold it corner to corner so that I got myself a square here. doing this fast, but I do this with fifth graders all the time. It's amazing. Fifth graders no longer know how to tear. <laughs> then, you get this. Anyone recognize the shape? It's original shape. So it keeps the shape when you pull the square off. This is called what kind of a rectangle? It's called a golden rectangle. This is called a golden ratio. If you, if you go to the internet and ask golden ratio, golden rectangle, and ask where does this show up, there's all sorts of art. Leonardo da Vinci, Mona Lisa, The Last Supper, uh, Parthenon, various things, all use the golden rectangle. Here's what's interesting. Let's just do the math behind it real fast. So here's the golden rectangle right here. So we'll let this be A, this be B. You cut off a square, so this part is also A right here. No, I'm sorry, this part is also B right there now, agreed? This is B, and this part is B, this is A. So this right here would be A minus B. There's A, I'm cutting off B part, so that's A minus B. Is everyone with me? So apparently the ratio of A to B is the same ratio as B to A minus B. Everyone agree? A to B, that, that proportion is the same as B to A minus B. Everyone with me? Flip them over. 
a great example of how you can use algebra and show how, what the fun things you can do with algebra. B over B is what? One. One. Now, let's let this ratio of A over B, let's just let that ratio be R for the golden ratio. Are you with me? So this right here is R. R minus 1 is equal to 1 over R. Everyone with me? Multiply through by R. Bring the 1 over. You get a quadratic equation. I always tell my students, zero is your friend. When you leave today, zero is your friend. Why do you want to set things equal to zero? If you have A times B is equal to 4, A and B could be anything in the universe. As soon as you set it equal to zero, you know that either A or B has to be what? Zero. Zero is your friend. All these algebra books they have, they just say set it equal to zero without ever really saying zero is your friend. I've never seen an algebra book that just tells them Zero is your friend, okay? So right here, you use the quadratic formula, and if you use the quadratic formula, you get r is equal to uh, 1 plus or minus the square root of 1 minus 4 is 5 all over 2. So it's 1 plus the square root of 5 over 2, which is around 1.68, and that's the irrational number, which is the golden ratio. Are you with me? Yeah. So, that's cool. Kind of neat. Now you take something which is totally different, from the golden rectangle. Anyone know what I'm going to put on here? Fibonacci. Yes, the Fibonacci sequence, which you get by adding these two things together, right? Uh, I live in Holland, Michigan. The uh, New Holland Brewery, I don't know if anyone in here enjoys various kinds of good beer, but uh, they, they, they have a, a brewery there, and they asked me once, I was chair of the math department at Hope, they said, can you help us develop a brew based on the Fibonacci sequence. So I went, I, it's one of my publications now, and I got a free, I got a free hamburger out of it. So, um, so uh, anyway, there's the Fibonacci sequence. If you think about what it's, what it's doing, it's saying that if you take this number and add this number, that's how you get your next number. Everyone agree? And so if you divide these things all by a sub n, Then you're going to get 1, and let this ratio here be r, and this thing you can write as 1 over a n over n minus 1. Flip, flip it over. And so this is equal to 1 over r. I'm doing this fast, apologize. 1 over r plus 1 is equal to r. Multiply everything through by r, and you get 1 plus r is equal to r squared. Does that look familiar? gives you that R is your golden ratio again. So the Fibonacci sequence is there. I've got a friend who is an inmate in the Washington State penal system. His name is Christopher Havens. I don't know if any of you have heard about him. He's there for murder. He had a drug-related murder about 15 years ago. He was a 10th grade education and, uh, and uh, in solitary confinement. He was a bad prisoner in solitary confinement. He, his brain, his mind finally settled down, and he had time to think and relax, and he started seeing the beauty of patterns. And he, he, he started loving math, and he got all he could. He ended up going and, and, and publishing a paper with a couple of mathematicians over in Italy, and he became world famous. I heard about him by reading an article in Popular Mechanics, and now he's all over. They're going to do a movie on his life. Uh, they're going to do a book on him. 
He's still got about 10 years in prison, but this guy is changing the world from inside a prison. He's got something called the Prison Math Project, which he's trying to help other prisoners around the U.S. have the same sort of relationship. I talk with him every couple weeks. We've become friends. But anyway, he got me interested in what are called continued fractions. A continued fraction is something like this. It just keeps going on like that. And what, what does that thing it's the weirdest thing in the world. What does that thing add up to when you add up to A? This goes on forever. Well, A is equal to 1 plus 1 over, what's that? A again. Multiply through by A, what's A equal to? It's the same, same thing again. So here you get this golden ratio that, that comes from continued fractions. It comes from the Fibonacci sequence. It comes from the golden ratio. How cool is that? It shows up all over the place. Okay? Oh, we're out of time. Okay? Um, okay. Um, thanks. Thanks for your attention. Good time.